All right. Welcome to the Refrigerated Diaries brought to you from Detroit Podcast Network and All right. Welcome to the Refrigerated Diaries brought to you from the Detroit Podcast Network and sponsored by the Foundation Hotel. From workout classes to lively soirees, the Detroit Foundation Hotel is the place where the local community and hotel guests can celebrate together. Be sure to check out the apparatus room, bridging the old and the new, offering iconic new American cuisine rooted in Midwestern ingredients. So let's get right into it. Here we are starting our episode two of the Refrigerator Diaries, and we've got some amazing guests on today. We've got Brenna Hauck, and we've also got Sandy Levine. So we're going to get right into our first segment here with Sandy. Shortly after I was promoted to my first restaurant manager position, I was running the door on a busy night. One of the guests was very upset that we didn't have any booths available and became extremely agitated. I explained that they were full and we could give him one when someone got up, but no matter what I said, he just got angrier and angrier. It seemed like every word I spoke sent him more and more into a full-on frenzy until he was literally shouting at me like an inch from my face. I remember being red-faced and sweating, wondering if he was going to punch me. I literally had like one or two weeks of experience as a manager at this point. Other guests were staring and I had no idea what I should do. But just said, let me see what I can do to get away from the situation. Miraculously, during the time he was berating me, someone had asked for the bill, and I let him know we'd be able to take care of him in a few minutes. The guest got up and left. I sat the angry gentleman, who was now acting like he was my best friend. And as I was walking back to the host stand, I saw my boss laughing. She'd been watching the whole thing. She said, I told him to give you a hard time, but he really went to town on you. That was probably the most awkward few minutes I've ever had working in a restaurant. How you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? Good, good. Not too bad. I appreciate you coming on for the show here. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah. So why don't you uh, let us know a little bit about you here? Uh, so um, I help operate the front of the house in, at uh, Chartreuse Kitchen and Cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm also the proprietor of the Oakland Art Novelty Company in Ferndale. Uh, so the Oakland is a craft cocktail bar, uh, kind of a speakeasy style. Uh, we don't serve food there, um, just sort of intricate, well-made cocktails. At Chartreuse Kitchen and Cocktails, uh, it's more of a full-service restaurant, uh, Mm -hmm. farm-to-table, kind of featuring very fresh, high-quality ingredients. We have a lot of uh, close relationships with farmers, uh, you know, with kind of local ties uh, to Detroit and southeastern Michigan. Okay. All right. So a lot of people don't know this about the Oakland, and I I could even be wrong on this, but the Oakland was one of the very first few that started doing uh, pop-ups, right, along with Revolver. Yeah, that's true. Um, So pretty shortly after we opened at the Oakland, um, we just had, you know, some relationships with friends that wanted to do, uh, you know, pop-up dinners or, uh, you know, whatever it was. So. Initially, we we did a lot of things with James Rigato, who was mm-hmm. just kind of like a, a very quick regular right after we opened, um, was just a big fan of the bar. Uh, yeah. So we became good friends. And he actually was the one who introduced uh, me to the, the person who became the chef at Chartreuse and eventually my, you know, our partner. Um, <clears throat> so we did we did several things with James at the Oakland and, and at the Root when he was back there. And then uh, the um, Komodo Kitchen, uh, some – it's sort of like an Indonesian uh, pop-up okay. that we did several dinners with, and I'm kind of obsessed with their food too. Oh, nice. I, haven't, I haven't had that in a while. We have to do another one of those. Sounds good. Shout out to them. So uh, I've got to ask you, have you ever eaten anything that you're ashamed of? Oh, wow. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, <what laughs> Tons of my cooking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, 
But no, I mean things that I've served at places. Yeah, because I've worked at uh, you know as a as a younger teenager and early twenties, I've definitely had that experience of like serving something to someone, kind of knowing that it you know it was not great, or knowing that what was it? I wasn't proud of it. Well, I worked at like places like Fridays and Pizza. Oh, okay, you okay. know stuff like that. Okay, um, not you know I've I've been very fortunate to be able to work at um, quality places more recently where. Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are times where I serve something that you know there might be a question mark in in terms of what that person's taste is and whether they they might mm-hmm. like it a lot or not. I've I've learned a lot uh, at the Oakland. You know, there there were a lot of drinks that were like polarizing, like you know, things that people either love or hate, and it it just depends on what your taste is. And and right. you know, I that's something that I'm I'm fine with. Not every drink is for every person. And, you know, we make drinks there specifically for that, you know, and, and try to match them to people's tastes. Yeah. So um, when I think of you, I, I think that you've got like quite a bit of an experience, right? You've like got working with the Oakland. You've got things going on with Chartreuse Kitchen. You've got some uh, event backgrounds going on here. Which I'm is older like, than a lot of the people that I work with. So <laughs> I've been around, yeah. yeah. When you, we so, all are. <laughs> When you think of uh, Detroit food systems here, what what comes to mind? Because you, you you obviously have experience outside of Detroit when it comes to like food systems mm-hmm. in the Metro Detroit area. Uh, what do you specifically think of when you, you hear that in Detroit? Well, I don't know. I mean, everything's changing, right? You know, it's in the last five years specifically, but even in the last ten or twelve years, I think things have been steadily changing. And it's now in the last five years, last three years, two years, it's kind of just like hyperspeed. So mm-hmm. yeah. nothing is really fixed, it seems like. Right, you know? yeah. And For those of you that don't know, um, in the from the point of origin, which is right around Campus Marshes, uh, in the past three years now, we've had over, was it 225 restaurant openings within a 10-mile radius of that? Like yeah. It's, it's I haven't heard that number, but that definitely sounds... It's pretty, pretty up there. Yeah. Um, now, do you feel that's a good thing or a bad thing or just a, a part of growing? Who knows? Come I up. guess we'll see. You okay. know, I mean, uh, I I like to think of it as a good thing. I mean, it, you know, from a diner's perspective and somebody who you know <clears throat> has lived in the Detroit area my whole life, I, I think it's great. You know, right. I, I remember times when uh, my you know my wife and I kind of bounced around a little bit. We spent a couple of years in San Francisco and Philly and Chicago, um, and I remember coming back here and being like, Ugh, yeah. you know. It's. I just wish there was like more you got stuff me. like that going. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the ethnic food was a big part of the reason that we came back. You okay, know? there's there's definitely tons of of great stuff here, but you know, in terms of the sort of like new modern whatever it was, you know, that wasn't going on 10, 12 years ago. It was like steakhouses. Was like if you wanted to go out to a nice dinner, that's that's, that's where like you a steakhouse. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that part's really exciting, and and there's a big you know, a huge variety of different kinds of awesome meals that you can have here with certainly, you know, inexpensive included in that. And that's expanded quite a bit too. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the the kind of like interesting ingredients prepared in interesting ways, uh, you know, that we're not used to uh, that are with like new techniques or or new ingredients that we haven't had before. That's that's been really fun, you know. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a question for you. Since you've you've obviously witnessed uh, this from the, the beginning, and what year did you come back to Detroit? 
So I came back two different times. So uh, my wife and I were in San Francisco in 2000, 2001. We came back and then uh, went to Philly and Chicago for about two and a half, three years. Okay. Uh, And then that was 2000, like four to 2007. Okay. We've been back since then. Oh, nice. All right. So what what, what are some trends that you think are going to be taking the forefront here as we roll into 2018? I don't know. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I think it's just kind of like an expansion. You know, I think one thing that has been a big trend, you know, both in Detroit and across the country has been like the the really well-executed food in a very casual, approachable environment. Mm-hmm. Quick casual concepts. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it, you know, both directions from that are going to kind of expand where it's like the quick service where you can just go in and get food and leave. Mm-hmm. kind of thing seems to be expanding a lot across the country. And, yeah. you know, I think we'll see more of that probably in Detroit. And I think at some point that, you know, the, nobody ever wants to talk about fine dining or say those words, but right. I think at some point that's going to, there's going to be a few options of, you know. Yeah. So it's interesting you say that, right? So the quick casual concept, like your places, like your Bucharest Grill, for example, right. or 2941, um, starting in 2012, right? These have started seeing about a 10% growth uh, year over year from like 2012 until now. And then um, before then, I think it was like 25 years ago, you can really consider like when you think about quick casual, right? Like what? Yeah, fast food. Yeah, no, yeah that's what it was. come to mind. So it, it's interesting that you say that. Is this just like something you've noticed or uh, are you also reading up and, and researching for your next big project? I don't know. I mean, you know, <laughs> No, I I think both Doug and I. I'm who knows who knows what'll happen years from now, but I don't think either of us is really like super passionate about that right now. Okay, uh, are you just telling us that You're keeping it under the wraps? Right. <laughs> right, that's what he says. Well, no, I mean you know that's something that's like one day far away from now when I'm like a one business day person. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean you know I think. A, we have our hands full yeah. with with chartreuse and certainly, you know, adding the Oakland to that. Um, so I think, you know, if we were to do something else, it would be something that we were really excited about doing, uh, you know, as something different. I don't know what that would be or, or when or if or whatever, but uh, I don't know. Quick quick service is something that I, I'm – I, I, enjoy as a, a guest because right. I have two kids and I'm like, we're always going somewhere and, out, let's go. and late <laughs> as, <Right>. you, <laughs> as you found out today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. That's something that I think okay. is growing quite a bit, but I probably won't Copy have much that. Of So it. we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll jump right into our interview with Brenna from Eater Detroit. All right, we are back here with Refrigerated Diaries, and we are on with our next guest, Brenna Hauk from Eater Detroit. My partner and I decided to try brunch at a local restaurant that we'd been to before, but not during that particular service. When we arrived, the restaurant was relatively empty. We asked to be seated on a patio and were taken to a table right near the door next to a service station, which seemed a little weird since the area was, as I mentioned, fairly open. We were pretty hungry and planned to order a few items, but decided to start off with a scone. And when we placed the order with our waiter, he rolled his eyes, or at least that was our impression, and said, Oh, a scone, as he walked away and started laughing. My dining partner and I sort of turned to each other and whispered, Is he laughing at us? 
That may have just been us exaggerating, but it was difficult to tell. And suffice to say, we felt pretty uncomfortable for the remainder of the meal. We didn't feel like we belonged there, which was kind of a bummer. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. So <laughs> I've got to ask you, being the editor of Eater, you've probably eaten a lot of food. What do you think of when you sit down at a restaurant? Uh, what do I think of? Um, I mean, the first thing I do at a restaurant, really, it's pretty silly, is um, I, I'll take a picture of the menu. Okay. So that I can look at it later for, like, notes. Like I, 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 But I, I don't know. What do I look for? For when I sit down at a restaurant, um, I don't know. I just look to see if I feel comfortable and if I'm getting the kind of service that I expected to get if people are friendly. And um, and I look for, like, what jumps out at me on the menu. Sometimes you look at a menu, I think, mm-hmm. and nothing jumps out at you at all. Like, you don't know what to order, and sometimes you know immediately what you want to order. And I think that that's kind of what what I think of. <laughs> if you were not uh, an editor, would you still be taking pictures of menus or is that just something that you, you um, do now? That's definitely an editor thing that I do now. I think that like when I go out to eat now because I write for Eater Detroit, I'm always kind of slightly in that zone. That mold, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I try my best not to, to think about that when I'm kind of going <laughs> out and trying to enjoy myself. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, but would I? Um, but I. But I think the, the the other things still apply. Just like what jumps out at you on the menu, like what makes you want to come back. Cool, to cool. That restaurant. I see. So October fourteenth, two thousand and fourteen. We've got a deep business article here. Automation Alley offers first trade mission to Saudi Arabia, and then November fifth, two thousand and fourteen, we see Brenna Hauk in as. Eater Detroit editor. How, how do we go? What, what happened here? What was that? That's that's a couple months now? Is it October uh, to November? What, what happened? I actually, I was writing for both at the same time. Okay. Um, so I uh, started at D Business, I think, in like September of that year. And it was just an internship. I was actually um, a fall internship. I hadn't written in quite a while. I have a journalism degree, but it had been a while since I had written anything. And I just wanted to like get my feet wet again um, while I figured out what my next move was. And uh, the eater position actually opened up at the same time. So um, I was kind of writing and applying to that concurrently while I was writing for D business. I would actually go on my lunch break at D business and go do eater Detroit stuff um, until finally I asked my now one of my bosses like, can I like have this job yet? Like, <laughs> Way to decided? ask for a job. Have we decided yet? Um, but yeah. Uh, and then I, I got the job and I actually, I, I continued on a D business for a little while cause I wanted to finish that mm-hmm. out cause I had made kind of an agreement. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that was really exciting getting to work for eater Detroit. Um, I, uh, and you work for Eater and Eater Detroit, right? Yeah, I work for Eater National and Eater Detroit. Um, and the the national site kind of came along later, but mm-hmm. um, but that's also been like a really huge opportunity to to be able to kind of look at the industry, not just in the city, but also like nationally and internationally, and kind of like see where Detroit fits in all of that because so many issues that happen in other cities are also like. 
Oh yeah, you probably have. You quite. see, you see a lot of. So where do we fit? Here. Where do we fit? Like, where do we fit? Yeah, are um, we top, middle, bottom? Steadily rising. Right now, I feel like there's like a lot of fascination with Detroit, which okay. is like obvious to anyone who reads like the media, Correct. like sees articles. And I think some of it is like really not quite like hitting the mark, right? Mm-hmm. You always know when you like read an article that like it it's feels not... like somebody just read somebody else's website Correct. and then wrote yeah. an article about it. Um, and then, but I think that at least at Eater, like, People are really interested in Detroit and interested in coming here. And when I go out of town now, uh, people are like, oh, wow, like I've heard so many good things about Detroit. Okay. When I interview people, they're they're saying that they're hearing a lot of interesting things about Detroit that have piqued their interest and they want to come here, which is, I think, great for our city. And um, that's tremendous. And that's something that's definitely changed since I since I've been writing at Eater Detroit anyway. Like, I think that kind of coming out of uh, the bankruptcy and all of that kind of the narrative changed. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, and that's still kind of, I think there are still a lot of issues obviously that yeah. need to be addressed in the city, but like, it's nice to see that people are thinking about Detroit in a more positive way. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got to ask you, like, do, do you get a food budget here? Are you like eating meals on calf plans? Like, how does that work? I get a small food budget now. Uh, it's not uh, big by any means. I can kind of use it like for a splurge or something, or if I really, like really need to go to a restaurant Do to not try it. Call to, you then to eat with yeah, you. Yeah, right. no, I'm sorry. I'm not like. <laughs> maybe if you want to have a lunch meeting somewhere, I can write that off. But um, yeah, no. I for the most part, it's just me, like kind of eating on my own and uh, going out in the normal way that I would. What do you Um, eat when no one's watching? What do I eat when no one's watching? Do you mean like when I go out or when I'm like Yeah, (laughs) however you want. (laughs) I feel like I've eaten like eggs every single day this week. Like eggs and toast. Um, My boyfriend is a into baking bread at home, so like I've had like home baked bread all week. Wow! <laughs> so do you do you do a lot of cooking at home or? I do, yeah. I I do eat a lot at home. Um, I live with a few people, and we actually like split up meals and prepare things uh, every other night of the week or something. So I do have meals built in, unless I need to like go somewhere and eat somewhere. Um, a lot of times, I eat at home during the week. Okay, so for those of you that are just tuning in here, both of our guests are required to provide a picture of their refrigerator from the night before. Uh, Be sure to check out the website to take a look at what is in Brenna and Sandy's refrigerator. Uh, So before I go to our next break here, I've got to ask you, you've got about 675 written, published articles online that we know of. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Is is that like a, are you just crunching them out? Like how, how does that work? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that like the food media is like any other part of media these days. And like we have like a 24 hour cycle. Mm. Um, there's definitely like expectations, for what I, how much I, I post or publish on a daily basis. It's not like a hard and fast rule and it definitely varies from day to day. And sometimes it just varies on like how much news we have. Like if there's like 
three big restaurant announcements in one day, which sometimes happens, then like I need to like fit that into my schedule. And sometimes those things happen. I'll have like a five or a seven story day. But um, so you're saying you got to do five to seven stories a day? I don't have to do that. (laughs) No, I don't. Um, It used to be that way. When I started, I used to write about four to five stories a day. And I do fewer now. And I think that the stories are hopefully better. <laughs> okay, hopefully. Uh, sounds like it came with that uh, food budget then. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we'll be talking about wages in the workplace, restaurant vibes versus kitchen vibes and tipping. All right, we are back with Refrigerated Diaries here. Uh, we've got our wonderful guests, uh, Brenna Hauk from uh, Eater Detroit and uh, Sandy Levine from Chartreuse Kitchen and the Oakland. And we're going to go into our first topic here with tipping. So uh, recently there was a class action lawsuit filed against the Michigan-based restaurant chain Maru Asushi here. The lawsuit was originally filed in uh, November of 2016 on behalf of a former employee they had. And the uh, additional uh, main cause was that Maru Sushi was requiring that the restaurant workers instituted a tipping pool. Uh, the most recent change came uh, within this past year when Maru Sushi uh, made the uh, change uh, mandatory on their uh, receipts. So the language uh, tells the guests that you got a 10% service charge that is taken out of your payment. And then from there, they are then instructed to pay 10% less than what they normally would so that, um, you know, they're not paying 20%. I, in my opinion, before we jump right into that, I feel like this is just a good example of not properly explaining the language. I could be completely wrong and off base here, but as I was reading the story, I thought to myself, if I were explaining this as long-winded as I can be, I can imagine the words getting mixed up. It's like, okay, we're going to charge you more for this meal. So we're being honest with you up front. And because of that, instead of doing your normal 20%, don't feel like you have to tip us for that, that 10% service charge that you're already getting charged. Um, however, who knows? Maybe they, <laughs> maybe they weren't thinking of that. I'm, I'm just trying to give the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but I imagine tipping comes up a lot in uh, both of your respective fields. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I could tell you that Doug and I talk about it all the time. Uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of Danny Meyer, uh, and he has instituted uh, what he calls hospitality included in, I think, all of his restaurants. If not all of them, then most of them, where you're just charged uh, a certain amount. I don't think they're, they allow – like there's no tip line or anything like that. Okay. They, it's just included, and that is – you know. Th- I think what kind of what Maru was sort of going for is just paying a fair wage to the back of the house, you know, so that there's not a gigantic discrepancy between what the servers are making and what the, the kitchen's making. Um, and that was spurred by him losing kitchen staff uh, who were passionate about cooking and that was sort of their dream. And then they saw servers making like three to five times as much as they were yeah. and asking for serving shifts. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, he, he more or less said like, you know, he doesn't want to be responsible for people giving up on their dreams because you know, can't make of, money. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know that I agree with the way that Maro did it. And I can tell you that I've worked at places 
in the past in other cities and, and I've heard about other other places doing it here where it, there's no transparency and it's just kind of like y- your tips are put in a pile and then given to management and then they divvy it up how they see fit. Correct. Yeah. In, in which case, you know, and, and there are some cases in it's not some fun. of the old school restaurants where the management takes, a you know, a big chunk of that and, you know. So, you know, it's the fee for, you know, yeah. starting the restaurant. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. And, and I think that's, you know, completely goes against you know, horrible. Certainly Come what on. I believe and, oh, and yeah. What, yeah. what he was going for. Um, but, you know, the fact remains there, there needs to be some sort of solution where, you know, the back of the house is, is making something comparable, at least to the, right. the front of the house. I, I think this is the issue that most people who don't work in restaurants are really not aware of. It wasn't until I actually, I started working with Godwin um, that at some instance I was doing the serving and uh, you know, I got tips really well. Mm-hmm. And then just recently I was, you know, in the back of the kitchen and it came time when it was giving the money. I looked and I was like, wow, I, you made some good money today. And I was sweating and I feel I put in just as much labor as you did, but I'm not going home with no, you know, another right. $50 in my pocket. Yeah. So, but it's one I wasn't aware of it, that discrepancy. So I actually was told about it and then I lived it myself. So I think right. a lot of people are not even aware that this even is a discrepancy. They, my assumption was that the chef and the people in the back of the house made the most money. Right. You yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what you would, you would think, right? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely like a conversation, like Sandy said, about like that a lot of people are having in the industry about how to kind of compensate their back of house workers in the same way that their front of house workers are comp- compensated and how to make that fair. Um, and that tip pool is just... Um, kind of a, a strange, a strange story. I, I, I even struggled with that, like reading that because I think tip pools in particular aren't really well understood, understood by people. Like it gets very technical about like how you can actually do that in a way that's legal. Um, mm-hmm. and actually interesting, like the Trump administration is actually trying to make it legal to pass these tip pools now yep. where employers can, can do that. And then, um, and there's a lot of concern that, uh, or at least like, the Restaurant Opportunity Center is concerned that that will allow employers to then take out right. a certain portion it's, of the it's tips very, for themselves. It's very possible. <laughs> I know for certain that with a, a formalized reporting system for tipping, all of that unaccounted for tip money will finally have a place to be reported to and taxed upon, right. yeah. which is uh, going to help out all of the government institutions that really – dive into the community so much i mean i'll say like i would love it if there was just no tipping and everything was included and we could pay people you know the right wage and again i think it's transparency is really really important because Mm -hmm. there is an argument and Mm -hmm. you know if if uh, hospitality is included and there's no tipping then it's very easy for an employer to kind of take advantage of that and continue to pay people really low wages Mm -hmm. um but i think you know it's also a really good opportunity to even the playing field and then take care of back of the house people, maybe offer insurance. And I think I, it should be mentioned that uh, Rose's Fine Foods uh, is sort of like one of the local, mm-hmm. one of the only local, if not the yeah. only local uh, restaurant that does that. Uh, yeah, there's a few. Um, the Restaurant Opportunity Center in Detroit focuses on um, raising awareness around those uh, the sanctuary restaurants and raised restaurants. Uh, in particular, are unified for that particular focus right. of um, 
of pushing that. Little known fact. So a sla- uh, slavery actually is linked to uh, tipping. Uh, we and, talked about this at yeah. lineup like two days ago at the church. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you wouldn't know. But as part of the New Deal and uh, with the uh, tra- uh, Pullman Corporation here with the railroad, um, the newly freed slaves, since they were originally doing that work anyway, were um, instituted with this, uh, this idea of tipping. So um, – Americans that went over to European countries and brought that uh, behavior back here uh, decided to keep it. Whereas if you go over Europe, you know, tipping isn't like what it is here. It's, sure. uh, it's definitely not the same. Um, so moving on here, I want to talk with you guys about uh, restaurant vibes and kitchen vibes. I know that's like a complete 180. <laughs> <laughs> so when I uh, first went into uh, the restaurants here when I was young, um, my parents were very, very cheap. And so we would literally, McDonald's was a treat, uh, anything, Red Lobster, even in all of those. those uh, I don't even McDonald's is a treat for anybody, <laughs> especially when you're young. He went to a good school, ladies and gentlemen. They weren't <laughs> abusive to him. You know, they no. loved him. Just say yeah. that much. They loved him. I was there. I was there. And so my first time going to a, a restaurant where you can kind of see like the, the, the kitchen and movement back there. I just fell in love from like the kitchen talk and people like yelling like, oh, who are you? Yes, chef. <laughs> All of that was, was super exciting for me. And so I, I identified that anytime I go into a restaurant, that's kind of like what I, what I see, what I, I pick up, what I, I tend to lean to. But, um, what about you guys? What are, what are some of your preferences here in the kitchen and, uh, in the restaurant? Uh, one vibe over another. Um, I mean, I think I migrate towards places where I'm comfortable, where, like, the staff are willing to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And, like, if they – if you even get lucky enough to, like, have someone who will, like, talk to you a lot <laughs> about things other than, like, what you ordered, then Correct. that's always, like, the best thing. Like, just having a conversation. I guess that's maybe because, like – I. I like to get out like, to talk to other people. You like words. Not in a work way. You like words. <laughs> but like that was also, I guess, like a thing. Like growing up, like I would go out with my family, and we would go to the same restaurant, and like we knew like the okay. people that worked there, and so I think that that's like a thing that I. I like. Uh, I'm an old man. I like quietness. <laughs> I like a, like a dark corner, almost like a speak. Like say speakeasy, but you know, serves food, of course, and. Uh, I like I just like to be private. Usually when I go out, I usually go out with somebody, my girl, or if I go by myself, I just like to have that that moment of just quietness and intimacy. So I really like the restaurants that are really not busy. So like the chain restaurants or like the Applebee's, those type places I tend not to go to unless it's happy hour, you know, in the middle of the day. But outside that, right. for me I like the laid back, relaxed vibe, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, when I go out, it's it could be any number of different things, either those two things or anything in between. But, you know, in terms of of kitchen vibes, something that is sort of interesting that happened with Chartreuse is, you know, our kitchen was really, really small um, and we didn't really have very much money, you know, for uh, like startup costs or construction or anything like that. So we didn't have the options of, you know, like expanding the kitchen or building walls or anything like that. Um, so what we did was, you know, there's a, this huge bar there. Uh, so on the long side of the bar, we have kitchen stations. So there's the garmage and then, uh, sort of like my favorite spot to eat, by the way. Cool. Yeah. And people really, really, um, embrace that. And so now, you know, people love sitting in front of, you know, where the chefs stand and interacting with them. And, and the other 
kind of cool thing that happened is that the the kitchen staff really loves that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the past, like, people have been, you know, when you're kind of like holed up in the kitchen in a separate room with no windows and all that, and then, you you know, if they, for whatever reason they walk out in the dining room, you know, a lot of times they're not as comfortable interacting with guests and all that. And a, a lot of our staff now, the kitchen staff uh, – sort of acts as like a supplemental waiter and mm-hmm. is able to describe the food and kind of like what you were talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, just able to maybe hand somebody like a spoonful of something that they're asking about, like just an ingredient or whatever. And it's a kind of a cool interaction that, uh, oh, yeah. that people have embraced a lot. I, I always feel special when I get uh, something that I didn't order. <laughs> makes me feel good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So our final topic here is uh, wages in the workplace. I know that we have um, quite a few uh, issues associated with turnover as it relates to restaurants here. Um, yeah, no matter what the level of experience is, uh, we find that uh, – Folks behind the kitchen door who are, don't have access to tips uh, in any capacity unless they're on a food truck or in some aspect of um, catering. And even then, that, that's, um, that's, uh, that's kind of a troubling uh, topic. But um, this has been one of the, to my, in my personal opinion, one of the main things that affects acquiring and then retaining top-level talent uh, as it relates to just kitchen workforces uh, as wages in the workplace. And even more so, wages accompanied with benefits in the workplace. Did you see, I want to ask you a question, do you see a rise in pop-ups because of that? So the chefs have, you know, direct, like, you know, I'm I'm throwing a pop-up, so, you know, all the accolades and money are going to come directly to me, not the restaurant, not the server. You, do, do you think that's a correlation and with the explosion of pop-ups and the maybe I'm not getting a fair cut? I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. I mean, I think it's it's multifaceted, right? Like, the, you know, it's way easier to do pop-ups if you don't have to pay rent, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, you know, have have a brick-and-mortar place. Um, but, I mean, you know, we it was, it was something we did with Chartreuse at several different places while we were building out, you know, to try to maybe make a little bit more money so we can get uh, – whatever an ice bin or a refrigerator or whatever it was um but yeah i mean i don't know the <clears throat> why is there a discrepancy i mean i was you think that the why i'm 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 the novice i'm the guy who's not in deep in the restaurant industry as you guys like why how did i even become about that you know the back of the house doesn't make as much of the front of the house like well of, i one thing that people i think don't really understand is how hard it is to make money in a restaurant like <laughs> razor thin margins yeah people. i mean any i'm not gonna say any but the vast majority of the people that i've experienced or heard about opening a restaurant to make money don't succeed <laughs> okay because it's, you just don't do that okay it's people that like like myself that just i don't i couldn't do anything else i that's just like it's all i've ever done and i would be i would just suck at everything else every other job that exists I would suck at. And I'm, you know, this is the only thing I can do. It's so like teaching, it's like a passion. Labor yeah. love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I know that I'm not, you know, it's not going to ever make me like rich. As long as I can make a living and, you know, support my family, that's, you know, that's yeah. all I care about. Um, I mean, like a lot of places, I mean, kind of going back to tipping, because I feel like wages and tipping kind of go hand in hand. They're like married. a lot of places are raising their minimum wages right now. I'm raising the tip minimum wage to meet the the standard minimum wage, um, which I believe back of house 
makes the the standard minimum wage. Well, I mean, it, I mean yeah. I so the, yeah, if you yeah, so yeah. your tipped minimum wage is like three dollars and fifteen cents, right, yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, and then they make that up in tips, and that really depends on what type of restaurant it is, even, and how many customers you get on how much you're making um, as a front of house server or back of house server. But um, I mean, like a lot of places right now are, you know, as 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 minimum wages are raised to mm-hmm. kind of be just a standard minimum wage in some cities, uh, they'll um, they'll get rid of tips like they have in some restaurants. Right. They'll eliminate tipping, um, and uh, they'll offer benefits or other things to try to like lure staff to stay at their restaurants. And yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's definitely something important to look at when you think of all of the different industries that have uh, kind of progressed over the years outside of the restaurant industry. You, you usually get something. You get a sick leave, right? You get some type of benefit, some 401k or something, you know. All, all we want uh, in the kitchen, myself uh, speaking from the aspect of being in the kitchen, is just a benefit. Let's let's start with a couple. <laughs> <laughs> you know, can, something. Can we get one? You know, right. So. Well, like inflation and living wage have have gone up so so much more over the past, like you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty five years than than minimum wage has. Correct. And so you know, now living wage is, you know, in, in I'd say most cases in restaurants, at least in this area, is way higher than what minimum wage is. Oh, definitely. Uh, 100%. And I know one of the strong movements that's going on right now, I'm going to put a plug here because I'm a part of it, is the one fair wage movement looking to eliminate the tipped wage altogether and then have one higher one fair wage phased out over the next five years at 12 an hour. Well, I don't think that's enough. It is definitely a start. I'm going to cut us off here as we are at time. Thank you so much for being on Refrigerator Diaries with us. We appreciate it. And uh, be sure to tune in for our next show where we'll be doing the same exact thing. Check out refrigeratorsdiaries.com to take a look at Sandy and Brenna's refrigerator as well as take a listen to their Refrigerator Diary story. Hurry.